Hello and welcome again to the Wide World of Wargaming Age of Sigmar podcast. As always, I am your host, Alex Gonzalez, with my good and great uh, and punctual host, John. And, uh, you know, we do have Garrett out. He is tardy. He is sick. We hope he feels better. LVO is right around the corner. Uh, but like always, John, what is on your workbench? Hey, Alex. Four days until the LVO as we're recording today, my friend. Oh, my God. I am so excited. I can tell you, anybody around me, coworkers, whatever, they are already tired of me talking about it because I oh, will sure. not shut up. It is amazing. So what is on my workbench? Well, first off, as we roll into this recording, I pulled out the old... Bale Venny Double Wood matured in two distinct casts for 12 years for a nice little single malt scotch. And that's because, uh, you know, my son, uh, who just turned 27 this weekend, uh, is sick. And so I'm trying to avoid his sickness. Our co-host Garrett is sick. And so I'm drinking this stuff without ice. I'm trying to burn any remnant stuff that's floating around in the air and burn it out of my throat. Oh, yeah. I think I just killed a, a flu right there. So Ooh, there you go. That's how we're going to do it. I myself feeling great rolling into this weekend. Uh, took uh, tomorrow's actually my last day of work. I got Wednesday off for any final prep. It's funny. Ooh. I took the day off on Wednesday anticipating that I would have some last minute hobby rush right before the LVO like I always do. And I don't because I'm, you know, doing the shout casting with Garrett and I'm flying in. But at the same time, I didn't cancel my vacation day either. So I'm just going to kind of take a nice relaxed day on Wednesday. Myself, you know, uh, Alex, this last weekend, uh, our local Warhammer uh, AOS club, Silicon Valley Warhammer, mm -hmm. held a beginner's workshop. And a local hero, Sonny Wynn, uh, led that. And it was pretty awesome. We actually had a series of four-by-four four tables. And for each table, um, members of the club brought in fully painted thousand-point armies with reference cards and all the good stuff. And when the workshop started, uh, we got everyone together, a bunch of new players, some younger players, um, some people's significant others that were interested in the game, etc. And we took about a half hour to explain how the age of sigmar works and movement and measurement and all that and then everybody split up and each of the people who was attending the beginners workshop was uh given a coach so i myself had a young lady that i was coaching and so we went and played a four by four thousand point game where there were two new players playing the game and each of the new players had a more experienced coach to guide them through the rules and what have you. And so the person I was coaching, uh, we had some Ideneth Deepkin on our side, and we played against some Seraphon, had a really fun battle. Uh, as these things go, the uh, Ideneth Deepkin, of course, killed almost all the Seraphon, but with all the summoning and what have you, the Seraphon were actually able to win the mission on point. So it was actually a, an amazingly good Age of Sigmar lesson for everybody there. Wow. So uh, that's pretty much it for what's on my workbench. Like I said, I really didn't have any painting or hobbying because I'm not taking an army to an LVO. So I'm taking a little break. In fact, the closest to any prep I had was taking my dry cleaning in. So I, I guess I picked that up today and now I'm ready for the LVO. Oh, wow. So uh, what about hobby. you, Alex? Uh, how close are you to being ready? Well, I'm not going to the dry cleaner. I'm just going to 
<laughs> just gonna iron my stuff and get it all sorted out. I don't I don't wear them. I don't wear Vegas stuff enough to to warrant uh, needing a dry cleaner. I don't think, at least not yet. Who knows? Um, uh, that's fair. And you know what, Alex? I should mention that that I actually people will appreciate this. You know, I own uh, multiple suits and much nice clothes. You know, being an older businessman that I am, and I actually get all of my clothes, all my dress clothes cleaned for the year right before LVO, uh, choose the best stuff to take to the LVO, and then I have clean dress clothes for the rest of the year that I use for whatever. That's <laughs> smart. Oh, I like that. Yep. Okay. Pro tip by John. Um, okay, cool. Uh, what's on my workbench? Well, you guys can guess it. Uh, starts with an O, ends with a BR. Um, ooh, ooh, ooh. Ossiarch Bone Reapers. Oh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> you did it. Um, yeah. No, uh, definitely Bone Reapers. Um, basically all of this afternoon I was basing all the more tech cause they're the only things I had not yet based. Um, everything is about, uh, everything just needs like a touch up and a dry brush and then it is going to be fully complete. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be 100% complete primarily because a, it's way too cold to varnish in Portland, Oregon right now. And B, uh, I don't think I'm going to completely get the blades done. I'm definitely going to get like everything done except for maybe edge highlights on some of the Nadrite blades. So uh, that might not completely come through in time. Um, oh, no. But there's still going to be three-color minimum, oh, right? Well before that. Well beyond that. They're, they're going to be about 85% complete as a model. You know, again, oh, nice. no varnish. Um, everything's going to be – it's good, everything is going to be painted to the uh, – to the. Uh, how do I phrase this? Everything is going to be done enough that they now have black rims on their bases. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay. Does that make sense? <laughs> yep. It okay. Does. Cool. Because like my, you know, like my Necron armies, like you know, very few things in my 40k armies have like black rim bases because they're all like three color minimumed and like clearly, you know, airbrushed and it was at a different time, you know, a lot less hobby centric, you know. So I'm like, no, no, no. Everything needs to be presentable and like even if my like neurotic eye can be like, oh, no, it's not done yet. I see something there that I don't like. Um, you know, for the the un, unaware eye will go, oh, man, that looks pretty good, you know. So, you know, it's one of those things where I, I will freak out about it, but literally no one else will freak out about it. So I will say that they are, like, going to be 85% done, but everyone's just going to think that they're 100% done. Oh, very yeah. nice. Very yeah, nice. Yeah. So yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, too. You know, we all sweat over our paint jobs. But what really doesn't happen is anybody putting their face within six inches of my models to see where I made mistakes. Exactly, exactly. Like I'm putting them like, yeah, exactly, six inches from my face. No one else is going to do it. So there's going to be stuff that's clearly – and I'm not like – you know, I'm not like our good friend Israel. I'm not going to be throwing them up in a you know, display case and ready to like you know, compete in you know, crystal brush or whatever. So, you know – Oh, I know. Yeah. We we all dream. Yes, we all, we all dream. dream. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I am getting that all finally squared away. I had a tournament that I ran at um, uh, the Ordo Fanaticus Clubhouse in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Ordo Fanaticus is a pretty big club in the Oregon and uh, Oregon and Washington area. A lot of primarily kind of garage hammery narrative. I don't want to say that they're narrative driven because they actually don't have a lot of age of Sigmar players. Hence me running events there you know, because they don't have a big population of age of Sigmar players in general. 
And, um, you know, they, they, of course, wanted to up the ante. A lot of bolt action, a bit of a primarily older crowd, you know, a lot of like a GOC's uh, form is the primary communication for them rather than Facebook or something other. Oh, sure. Yeah, you understand. Um, And and in general, like, uh, you know, there's a huge amount of gamers in the Pacific Northwest, uh, especially war gamers, um, for one reason or another. And there's nothing wrong with narrative play. I'm a big fan of it. But there's a difference between narrative play and not playing narrative play, but calling it narrative play. Um, You know, basically. It's funny. We we could even theorize about how those long, wet winters up there uh, encourage lots of war gaming and uh, these types of hobbies. Oh no, absolutely. That is a completely correct hypothesis. Um, however, you know, there's a lot of like um, either garage hammering people or people who like mm-hmm. uh, you know hear the word competitive and just assume that means the worst, um, which is unfortunate. It, it's right. it's hard to change the hearts and minds, but um, thankfully, I have discovered that. Uh, I might not necessarily need to do so. We ran this event. The first time it happened was last month. Uh, Four people showed up and it was not all that exciting. Um, This time I uh, got, you know, a few text messages and Facebook messages while I was getting breakfast just before saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're here. And uh, I got there and there was 14 people there. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. Well, I mean, someone initially didn't come to play, um, but you know, overall in terms of players, having more than ten all of a sudden with minimal uh, advertisement was was great, and uh, it was more. yeah, three hundred and fifty percent growth in one month, amazing. Yeah, exactly. So it was pretty exciting, especially since a lot of them, you know, some of them, I I, I don't make like Facebook events anymore for the RTTs. I primarily just make the Best Coast Pairings event and then uh, advertise it, like you know, cross post it into Facebook groups. Um, and, and just sure, talk sure. to people like I go to league nights at guardian games and just tell people like, Hey, if you want to play, like, let's do this. Um, but I'll, there was a good chunk, like a good quarter of the people who showed up, showed up because they said, you know, Hey, I heard the podcast and then someone told me check best coast pairings and I saw the event or, you know, I just went on best coast pairings and then found out that this event was coming, running, uh, being run. So I decided to show up and it was like them and all their friends. So it was people I'd never met, I'd never heard of before, and it was like, great, these people just kind of literally came out of the woodwork. So it was very much a, um, a field of dreams moment for me. I was like, oh, this is great. You know, if you build it, they will come. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Very So, nice. you know, and, and of course, you know, with that one, we are going, because it was more popular than I thought, I'm already talking to our good friend, Tony, about getting trophies set up, you know, very sim- Ooh, okay. sim- similar, Excellent. but different to yours. Um, yeah, but in a very similar light, and uh, I'm excited to get that going in the right direction because we need a lot of we need more events that are regular in the Portland, like metro area specifically. So it is popular progress, but we're not here to talk about you know RTTs running events or community building. Of course, we are here to talk about the biggest event of the ITC season, and of course, that is going to be LVO. Uh, the LVO Grand Championship. Yeah, we need uh, Q, Q, some like uh, some horn music there, right? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And of course, you know, we do want to talk about lists. Now, you know, we earlier in the week were able to talk about uh, faction breakdowns, and I realized that we didn't come up with the faction breakdowns till a few days after recording. So that's something we can talk about a little bit later, however, for those who weren't privy to it um, on, say, AOS Shorts 
or Twitter or what have you. Uh, that being said, we do want to talk a little bit about the lists here. And, uh, you know, we have a few off the cuff ones since there are a few people gone today. But, um, you know, we do want to take a look and we're going to start with you, John. Um, you know, it seems like you might have a theme with the lists that you want to point out that are happening at LVO. Sure, Alex. Well, as it's no secret to our listeners, to our friends out there, is that I am primarily a Skaven player, uh, though I do own multiple armies and play multiple armies. Skaven is where my passion is. And, uh, you know, to pull down that fourth wall, as I like to do, Alex, you know, we'll be honest, is yeah, you and I uh, were actually planning on recording tonight with our good friend Jeremy, with our good friend Garrett. And so I actually prepared uh, to corner some Skaven discussions rather than creating it, uh, having it be half of our discussion for tonight. Uh, unfortunately, uh, our good friend Jeremy, uh, always difficult for him to make it at our recording time, and Garrett has fallen sick. We want him to stay home, get well, so that when he and I are shoutcasting this Friday, his voice is all clean and fresh. So going into the LVO 2020, there are nine players uh who are playing skaven uh we have mr greg uh goad james crockett james house jiwan singh john edward josh chornos Corey mckinney michael crispel and trevor Orr. there's a theme here if you paid attention there are five more than half of the people their name starts with the letter j if i was playing that would be john and that would be six so Odds are, if you're playing somebody with the letter J in their name, there's a good chance they're a Skaven player. So watch out for that. So the first list that I wanted to take a look at, uh, Alex, was from Mr. Trevor Orr. And this was a list that, to me, stood out as being 100% different from all the other Skaven lists that are brought. In fact, as I look at the Skaven list, there's eight other people besides Trevor. And I would say that probably a third to a half of those lists are one thing, <coughs> Storm Fiends, and the other half of the lists are something else, <coughs> Plague Monks. And whereas Trevor Orr here is uh, a man after my own heart, and he built a pure pestilence list and you guys will remember a couple years ago i won uh best pestilence in the itc spent an entire year of pain dropping these pestilence models on the table to uh sore backs and <laughs> opponents uh but nowadays they're pretty strong so i'm just going to run through his list real quick Wonderful. He of course well, has hey, two real quick before you do that remember for all those pestilence players out there you gotta you gotta clench your butt Got to clench the butt cheeks. That's right. Thank you very much. The The best advice in the world when you're moving a horde around. So he, of course, is playing Sky, Skaven Tide, and he took the attrition mission, which is pretty common out there. He, of course, has two Plague Priests on Plague Furnaces. Uh, I always like the double Plague Priest uh, on Furnace combo myself. And then he has two regular Plague, plague Priests. Beyond that, he has 120 Plague Monks, three Plague Claws, and the Foul Rain Congregation. I think he's looking at seven drops in total. And, of course, those of you that have uh, remember back from the day when it was pretty common, that Foul Rain Congregation is going to have him hitting on twos, I think wounding on twos, uh, doing uh, probably, was it 2d6 damage or something? I'd have to look it up. Sorry, guys, not looking it up. Uh, when you're shooting into large hordes. All I remember is that that is one of those things that every time I've ran it, it does nothing, 
followed by doing nothing, <laughs> then one more round of doing nothing, then one time it shoots amazing and kills the heck out of one thing and then goes back to doing nothing. So uh, as fun and as cool as it looks on paper, that has proven to be a big dud for me every time. Uh, but nonetheless, I applaud anybody who's bringing a pure pestilence list. There is one thing I should mention here. Now, as I'm looking at this list as it's listed, yeah. and I really wish our friend Garrett was here. Um, but, you know, uh, it's an old rule of meetings uh, when you're in business. You know, uh, the person who doesn't show up for the meeting gets blamed for everything and gets assigned all the new tasks. So, Garrett, by not being here today, you get blamed for everything. And if there's any extra work coming out of this podcast, it gets assigned to you as well. Oh, absolutely. So, anyways, what am I talking about? Well, Garrett, Mr. Garrett was supposed to have gone through and checked all the AOL lists for errors he certainly was live casting while that was happening and wouldn't you know almost every single skaven player has an illegal list oh no don't tell me that yep i'm looking here at mr trevor Orr, and he has an illegal list he has three units that are listed with invalid equipment that is no longer available on those units so uh yeah in fact as i went through i found one Skaven player who at least had the correct equipment listed, but it actually was not in the correct quantities either. So any of you guys who want to be hardcore out there, you go up against a Skaven player, there's a good chance you could get him a yellow card by pointing out that his list is illegal. So and whatever. Real quick, Maybe I'll John, just point out to Scott anyways. That's incredibly important, uh, though, because our listeners... It is critically important. Are... So the, the problem is, mm. unfortunately, that the Plague Monk scroll has changed. So in the past, when you ran a unit of 40 Plague Monks, you would take one Icon of Pestilence, one Contagion Banner, one Doom Gong, and one Bale Chime, right? So that's how the it's set up in the book, as it were. Unfortunately, according to the new War Scroll, there are only Standard Bearers and Plague Harbingers. There are no contagion banners there are no icons of pestilence there are no doom gongs okay and there are no bale chimes we definitely understand none of that. these things exist anymore now we record on a monday and of course we typically release on a uh thursday however uh, i believe we are going to be releasing on a wednesday just a day before uh uh well two days before lvo um it's likely that someone's going to talk to Scott, right? Like you or I or someone will probably make the FYI be known. But uh, I, yeah, probably. And again, it's an honest mistake, as it were. But what's worth mentioning is that nowadays you're allowed one standard bearer is one in every ten models. Oh. So you actually get four standard bearers, and then the plague harbingers are one in every ten models. So then you get four plague harbingers so whereas all of these people are basically taking two one banner <laughs> and no harbingers you're actually allowed four banners and four harbingers for a total of eight buffing models in a 40-man monk unit and only one skaven player went in and changed what they had so that it at least said standard bearer and plague harbinger but they only included one of each with the unit so mm. mur, mur, mur. wow so well there it is so that's yeah that's a big one 
Anyways, it depends on how how much of a jerk you want to be on the table as to how much you point that out. So that is that for Mr. Well, quick, Trevor Orr's list. What we can do yeah. is if anyone does get called out and they're escaping player, because it seems like it was certainly an honest mistake, we can give them the personal information of Garrett Mulroney and uh, you know his home address, phone number, et cetera, and we'll just we'll just let them have it. Well, you know, I think we'll just point him to his uh, Twitter account and uh, then they can just kind of do it all there uh, as that is the modern way. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Maybe get, uh, get them in contact fair with enough, a Russian right? bot or something like that. Who knows? Yeah, no no need to get all wild about it. We can we can get away with just that. So oh, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, okay. Uh, so other than that, um, I wanted to talk about one other list, and that was Mr. Gregory... And I, I always want to say geode, but it's actually uh, Godi, uh for. And the reason I mention it is Gregory did very well, top Skaven player down at the SoCal Open, and he has consistently done well in tournaments. And so, uh, as far as pointing out the guy that I think is going to do the best with Skaven, therefore has a good chance to do very well in the tournament, I would talk about this man. He is, of course, playing Skaven Tide. He took the Army mission of defend. He is running a Gray Seer on a Screaming Bell, Master of Magic, Death Frenzy. Uh, he's got a Gray Seer with Skitter Leap. He's got a Warlock Engineer with the Vigor Just Injector and the uh, More More Warp Power. He's got 60 Clan Rats, 40 Plague Monks, 6 Storm Fiends. Those guys are running Wind Launchers, Ratning Guns, Doom Flayer Gauntlets, Gauntlets, and Shock Gauntlets. The unusual thing is he has a Hell Pit Abomination. Yes. He also has some Endless Spells in the form <laughs> of a Soul Scream Bridge and Prismatic Palisades. 1990 points and 171 wounds. What do you think about that list there, Alex? A little bit of uh, all the little toys and all the little nastiness, huh? I like it. Um, you know, I fought against them at SoCal Open with my Night Haunt. And, you know, oh, those yeah. Storm Fiends are no bullshit. They will remove stuff. Um, my Night Haunt was explicitly susceptible to um, the, the the guys, specifically my 20-man Blade Geist Revenant unit. However, um, oh, as yeah. well as characters, of course. Um but, you know, it is a really good list. Uh, I, I like the idea of the Storm Fiends and a Prismatic Palisade. You got a good way of being relatively defensive. Um, you know, I think that it's going to be very helpful for uh, the opponents to have to kind of play the mission. Um, you know, the the it's, it's six Storm Fiends, correct? Yeah, six Storm Fiends in there. Okay, can you tell me the weapon loadout again? Sure, we have two of the wind launchers, so those are the long range. Yes. Two of the rattling cannons, so that's rolling the handfuls of D6 uh-huh. at short range. We've got the Doom Flayer gauntlets, and then we've got the shock gauntlet. So we have two different of the the nasty melee stuff. Okay, yeah. Uh, what there isn't is a, there's no grinder fist, so he's not popping up from somewhere random. Yeah, that's fine, too. Um, yeah, I think that that's a really good list. Uh, I mean, I personally like it. Um I think that oh yeah, I, I just like you said, we got the Soul Screen Bridge. Uh, I envision uh-huh. some plague monks yeah. uh, with some death frenzy jumping out there and doing something as far as that goes. Uh, maybe even using that to reposition some storm fiends to bring him in range of those rattling guns, which often have a range issue. Uh, so that's pretty good. Uh, of course, we've got some skitter leap on that gray seer. So. Uh, Every good chance that he's going to go up, do something, and then jump into a gnaw hole and run back home, as uh, Skaven tend to do. 
uh, yeah, so I'm liking pretty much everything I see here. Yeah, you know, it looks it looks interesting. I, I think that it's it's fun. Um, it is, and uh, and so yeah. and just if I may, so before mm-hmm. before we move on, I did want to give two honorable mentions. One is to Mister G One Singh for bringing three screaming bells in his list. <laughs> three <laughs> screaming bells. There's not a lot else oh. happening in his list. But I guarantee you, he's going to be summoning some vermin lords. <laughs> That's some big dick energy right there. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, what you're saying is that on average, his entire army is going to have plus one to casting because one of those guys is going to hit a seven. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, you're at a high probability to summon a vermin lord. But what you're really at a big chance to have happen is to have big nukes going off. Uh, you know, Three eight or nines or seven eight nine or yeah three eight or nines uh, in one turn and you have three of the big nukes going off at a twenty six inch range that is going to decimate some stuff so I think this is very dice dependent yeah but when the dice go your way three screaming bells on the tabletop is no joke <laughs> no no that's absolutely amazing I I love it um it's gonna be it's gonna and be then, a feast then, or famine list for sure. Feast or famine. Mm-hmm. And then my other honorable mention is one of the James, okay? So we have Mr. James Crockett with 18 Gisellis in his list. 18 Gisellis. Yeah. So, again, we see that he's going for massive character sniping, long range. Uh, you get into his list and it vanishes. Oh, yeah. But by gosh, you had better get there fast because it's going to shoot the heck it's out of It's a sniper you. army. Now it's yeah, it's so what I did notice though, Alex, and um I don't know if you noticed this as well, but there were three people named James coming to the LVO. James Crockett playing Skaven, James How James Howes also playing Skaven, and then of course, number one Skaven player in the ITC, James O'Brien playing cities of sigmar <laughs> yeah yeah saw that saw that well you know he's so one of those guys you know we've talked to garrett garrett could probably vouch if he was on um that you know uh, he was not too stoked about the changes to uh to the plague monks as well as the point increases that the big F- big faq brought around Oh, yeah, there's a lot of people still not happy about that. Uh, as my friends know, uh, even I am struggling to uh, put together lists the way I like them. Um, and I tell you that there's I don't run any of the kind of lists we saw at this tournament. So my lists do other things, but they still use the same unit. So I'm affected the same way as everyone else. Yeah. So, on the other hand, James O'Brien, who is is James currently number three in the ITC? He's number two, sir. I am behind him He's- by... Like oh, so, okay. So you're number three. I'm number three. James is number two, and our other host, Jeremy Vessier, uh, the Le Boogeyman, is number one in the IT. By set. a margin, so, too. Uh, yeah, by a margin. So I, I at least feel that I'm in uh, auspicious company when I hang out mm. with uh, with my friends and teammates. So uh, let's get right into it, though. Uh, James is running the Cities of Sigmar. He brought the city as the Tempest's Which Eye, is the uh, is the wizard-friendly one. That's the wizard-friendly one. Thank you very much. Uh, even though I have this book, I must admit I'm not super familiar with uh, this army except for being on the backside of it shooting, and that's just mm-hmm. painful. 
Uh, so he, of course, is going for the attrition army mission coming from the mortal realm of Akshi. Let's see. I'm going to say some stuff. You comment, Alex, if you think there's something worth saying about sure. these guys. Uh, he's bringing the Celestial Huracanum with the Battle Mage. Uh, he's got the Patrician's Helm. Uh, he's going to go for a Rune Lord and another Rune Lord. So he's got two Rune Lords. I guess those are wizards. Yep. Uh, for his battle line, uh, I think these are dwarves. He's got 30 Iron Drakes, 20 Iron Drakes, and... They are a special honored retinue, whatever that mm -hmm. means. And they also has 30 long beards with ancestral weapons and shields. I don't know, but if that's really battle line, like those sound like some badass battle line units. That's what? 750, 1,020 points in three battle line units. I'm thinking those things are pretty tough. Oh, yeah. Have you faced any of those before, No, Alex? I actually haven't. Um, but I have fought against Tempestus Eye. Um, it is going to be not hard for him to get pluses to cast on his uh, wizards. Um, the Celestial Hurricanum uh, gives a natural plus one to that. Um, and, you know, it's also just a hardy unit in general. Um, and, you know, the uh, general's uh, agenda, uh, uh, that is going to be the role of, uh, just like it mentioned in the list, has to be less than six wounds. It has to be a character. If it's nearby, um, it, it helps give an extra command point to you if, the, if it's nearby the general. So it oh, adds wow. to a double thing. I unfortunately um, can't, can't recall honored retinue but it is another bonus if you're nearby the general so really the general it's like the general his handyman and his retinue um awesome. gyrocopters and then, yeah yeah gyrocopters we uh have talked about in the previous episode it is um a hardy hardy unit um you know they can they move fast and uh, they can do a once per game flyover uh to do uh d3 mortal wounds um Oh, like a bomb drop. It is a bomb drop. And then they also have very short-range guns, um, like Gatling cannon-style guns. Uh, we talked about this in a previous episode when Cities came out because though the gyro bomber is, uh, can always fly over and do mortal wounds when it flies over, uh, whereas the gyrocopter can only go once, the gyrocopter is slightly cheaper and it is faster. So it's easier to move over units when you have a 14-inch move rather than a 12-inch move or a 10-inch move. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and then, of course, the other one, the um, Sky Scourge uh, Runner Chariots. Those ones uh, we have also briefly discussed in another episode because they are, of course, oh, yes. only 150, so 50 points each. But we're looking at uh, 18 wounds, three models, uh, six wounds each that have a 12-inch move. And they have, you know, six, uh, six range attacks and six uh, close combat attacks. And they are... They are not 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 that bad. And the units three or more models it's plus one to hit for all their missile weapons. So they're hitting on, uh, you know, they're hitting on uh, twos or fours on their weapons rather than uh, fives and threes. That's great. Um, I, I really like them. The uh, you know the other ones here that we're looking at uh, the Iron Drakes. Um, I have not fought against those ones so much. I have fought against Longbeards, and Longbeards are fun because they have the. Uh, you know, they do, of course, have those old grumblers where they have a complaint that they can choose. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's right. I remember that. So yeah. it's really easy to give them a two-up save in cover. So, I mean, putting 30 of them in cover is a whole other story. But if the objective's in cover and it's a big enough piece of terrain, that's pretty helpful. 
Yeah, that sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to the Iron Drakes, though, again, like I said, I have not fought against very many of them, uh, but they they can be pretty helpful. Um, you know, they can have uh, quite a bit of range. Uh, I mean, heck, you can have these Grudge Hammer torpedoes that have a 20 inch range, three to hit, three to wound, two rend, D3 damage. Um, they also have a, a 16 inch uh, range attacks that are just one shot, but three, three, one rend, one damage. Um, Right, and when he's got that soul screen bridge, so again, he's got that that ability to stick those shorter range units in your face to to blow. Exactly, you up. exactly. So he's likely going to do. Um, I actually think that him and um, and Greg are probably going to have, despite being a Skaven player and a formerly Skaven player, I would surmise that they have very similar strategies in terms of what they want to do. Pop the soul screen bridge, yep. turn one, move the entire army through the soul screen bridge exactly where they want to be at the right moment, whether it's turn one or if they want to bait and switch, um, and then just doing what they do best, shooting a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I think you've called it right there. This is an army that has uh, a few highly mobile units shooting everywhere you look, some tough stuff, some high mobility uh, things, and of course, plenty of powerful wizards to do things. And uh, anybody who's faced off against that Celestial Huracanum with a battle mage on the table knows that it itself is causing all kinds of problems in addition to the buff war as it causes. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, on top of that, uh, you know, if we're talking about high, you know, ranked individuals like, you know, James, who is, again, second in ITC, I think it's also appropriate for us to talk about last year, you know, the 2018 ITC season, because that was won by, um, you know, we know him, we love him. It was won by Bill Souza. And, oh, yeah. you know, I was interested because, you know, Bill, of course, won with Flesh Eater Courts last year. Um, and, uh, he's bringing flesh eater courts again. Now, this is kind of a sign of the times. I wish we would have done a snapshot after last LVO so we could do a comparison. That's definitely something we could try to do now for maybe next year. But, uh, oh yeah. As soon as you're saying that, I, I realized that we should have exactly done that. I, I wish I could compare this to his list last list from last yeah, year. Yeah. Right. Because it's, it's interesting because it is a realm of Gur flesh eater, uh, unit. That is a, the grand court is blister skin. So it's kind of funny for me anyways, because blister skin is supposed to be a realm of highish, uh, um, court or realm of light, but it is going to be the realm, the realm of uh, Gur instead. Um, you know, the Aberrant Ghoul King on a Terror Geist has the Cliff Feather Charm, so it's going to be moving one extra inch and be minus one to hit. So the natural minus one to hit on the Terror Geist is pretty helpful. Um, and now it's going to be moving 15 inches, so that's super, super helpful. You know, we don't even have to talk about the Mount Trait because we already know what it is. It's Gruesome Bite. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. But, uh, you know, then we have the Aberrant Arch Regent, uh, a Courtier, and uh, who's the General, and... Uh, Oh, wait a second. It has an artifact, the Eye of Hish. You know, I am not familiar with that one. Neither am I. I, I just, I just, you were saying that they had to be from Haish and he's coming from Gur. I'm like, well, is he even allowed to have that artifact right then? That is a good I no question. Idea. I do not have a Flesh Eater Courts uh, book. And of course, Garrett is not here to correct or remind yeah. all of us. Garrett. Um, yeah, sorry guys. You, at this is the point where Garrett would normally pipe in with uh, exactly knowing what that artifact was, telling us all of its rules, and uh, possibly, possibly even uh, citing the rules from memory for us on that. Right. Thing. So uh, 
that's just not going to happen with uh, with us. Though. Yeah. However, <laughs> however, um, you know, with the the eye of Hayish, that is actually something that is not going to be in malign sorcery. That is, in fact, going to have to be something that comes from uh, comes from specifically the flesh eater court book um, because I am not seeing it in uh, malign sorcery. So that's my bad. Um, yeah. So you guys can yell at us later. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as per, uh, blister skin, because blister skin is as blister skin does, you don't want to run a bunch of ghouls. You'd rather summon a bunch of ghouls instead because you can use crypt flares as battle line. So, um, he has a, he has nine unit, nine, nine man unit of crypt flares and two, three man unit of crypt flares. He then has as allies, which I absolutely love. Um, 30 zombies, because that's just 30 wounds on the table for 180 points. Um, you know, at six points a model, it, there's no reason not to, but they don't have a save and they're not going to have a death save, um, because they're allies. So they are going to be susceptible, but you can keep them on an objective, um, and kind of hide them, you know, where you can, when you can. Uh, and then he's got the corpse cart, which at first you might think, huh, why does he have a corpse cart? Is it because that there are zombies there? Um, because you know, zombies are of course carrying a corpse cart. No, the, right. the reason why you bring the corpse cart is because it is, it has, uh, two different war scrolls depending on what you have. So unfortunately, uh, it's not listed which one it is, but I can only assume, uh, which one it is because you can either come with the, uh, Balefire Brazier or the Unholy Lodestone. And again, these okay. are two separate war scrolls. So we don't know which one's which, but they're both worth 80 points. So I guess I give them a pass there. Um, but the I'm going to assume it's the Unholy Lodestone because you, uh, the, you add one to casting rolls for friendly death wizards within 18 inches of any corpse cart with an Unholy Lodestone. Um, now, I encountered Ooh. this at T-Ship. I fought against a Gristlegore player who brought two Terror Geists and an Arch Regent and I think just a normal Ghoul King. And they were all plus one to cast because they had a corpse cart tucked away, hidden away. You know, it's not a hero. It moves six, it, it, it only moves four inches. It's got six wounds with a six-up save. And again, being an ally, no death save. So it's not exactly the most resilient thing in the world. But, you know, and it's not exactly great in close combat. You don't bring it for that. But that lodestone is is great. Um, it's Yeah, it's a buff and the thing can hold an objective. Exactly, exactly. So, so you know, you surround, surround the zombies maybe with it and there you go. Uh, or, or surround the zombies. Uh, oh, by the way, it, it should, it's worth mentioning that the Eye of Hish is actually the blister skin uh, artifact. Okay. And it's basically minus one to hit for uh, attacks from missile weapons. Okay. Well, thank you for that. It says specifically that target a friendly blister skin unit wholly within six inches of the bearer. So it gives you a little bubble of minus one to hit against missile weapons, which all things considered in today's meta isn't a bad thing. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think that's going to be pretty helpful. So then he's got two characters, his general and his big bad boy, his his terror guys are going to be minus one to hit naturally. So there's nothing bad there, right? Uh, Right. You know, I would go into more lists here to review. Um, However, there is, you know, with OBR, which is, you know, the most common army. We can get to that in a moment. Um, most of them are boring, except for two, uh, basically. Um, and what, what, yours and who uh, else? Someone will. 
Um, <laughs> you know, the, and we'll talk about the stats in a moment. So there's no reason to talk about that. I do want to give a shout out to uh, a couple of people, though. There's an individual, Scott, who is bringing um, a Grand Alliance Death Army. It is a Tomb King army, basically, but it is Grand Alliance Death because they do not have any, um, you know, any sort of... Uh, uh, alliance abilities um so you know he just has a bunch of skeleton archers tomb tomb guard tomb queens tomb king um and it is uh, gonna be a fun time you know he's gonna be a little command point shy but that's why he's got the aether brooch because you need command points to make those units relevant and uh you know there's a dispossessed guy he's got he's got a bunch of uh hardy models it looks hilarious and uh my my love my my loving faction night haunt there's not a lot of players but they are, uh, you know, they're 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 bringing some interesting lists. It's one thing to note outside of list reviews is that almost every Nine Hunt player is bringing um, the Death Riders Battalion, which is two units or or more of um, of hex wraiths and a black coach. And the black coach got cheaper uh, in the big FAQ, but it's still, you know, unfortunately, uh, I don't bring mine anymore because you know Terror Guys and Keepers of Secrets exist, but. Um, yeah, oh, right. it's a harassing unit, and it has now become slightly cheap enough where people are starting to bring him back. Personally, I'm not going to, but you know, it's there. Um, and then one final shout out here: uh, another death one is Soul Blight. There are two Soul Blight players, and that's an allegiance you you got to go into the General's Handbook to find, but not General's Handbook 2019. You got to go to 20 or uh, yeah, you got to go to 2018 for it or or older. And that's what got me into Age of Sigmar three years ago. I brought Soul Blight before Legion of Nagash exists, and I got best death in the ITC with it. And I brought, you know, two units of five Blood Knights, nine Vargeis, uh, Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon, and three Vampire Lords with, like, allied, you know, two units of, of like, 20 uh, uh, zombies. And, like, that was it. And, um, and uh, you know, then Vargeis got taken off battle line. You never saw a Soul Blight player again. And then last general's handbook they got no. brought back to battle line so uh and you're seeing some stuff but then soul blight allies uh uh night hunt and vice versa so now like people are bringing there's a guy who has 40 chain rasps with his uh soul blight army and sure they're not gonna have a death save. Oh, okay cool cool yeah I, I think a lot of it is that you know a lot of the soul blight players moved on and and you know it is people don't know of course so. yeah and again yeah it's very helpful when you see uh neferata two dragons and 20 blade guys revenants you're like holy fuck what am i gonna do <laughs> so yeah i right. love it um but you know we also want to dive into the stats here we just wanted to give those shout outs to the list that we enjoyed oh now wait a second uh, alex before we we go into the stats uh should we give a, a quick uh homage to uh what Le Bogeyman oh. is bringing to uh, the event. Yes. I mean, uh, the man is number one in the ITC, and and though he's not here to defend himself, <laughs> uh, we certainly have his his number one opponent with us to uh, give up those deep dark secrets. So, uh, oh, so I actually, Alex, am going to run through the list because it'll give me something to say, but I don't really know yeah, much we about can do it, that. and. Uh, Perhaps you could give a little insight. Absolutely. So, of course, Mr. Jeremy Vessier, Le Bogemon, is bringing the Allegiance Fire Slayers. Mm -hmm. His lodge is the Hermdar, yeah. and his army mission is, no surprise, conserve. Yeah. He is taking an Auric Runefather as his general. Uh, he has the Warrior Indominate. He has another Auric Rune Master. He has a Battlesmith. 
He has another Auric Rune Master with a Forge Key and a Grimwrath Berserker. So a lot of characters. On the battle line, he has two units of 20 Hearthguard Berserkers, 400 points each, one with pole axes, one with axes. 10 Hearthguard Berserkers with broad axes, so three different weapon types there. Two units of five Auric Hearthguard. Wow, just five dudes? Are they badass? We'll get there. And then his battalion is the Lords of the Lodge. Exactly 2,000 points, 148 wounds, and one extra command point. So, you know, Alex, on the surface, just looks like a friendly little list of dwarves. Nothing big. Just go in, kill them up. Probably nothing strong happening there. No, right? yeah, of course not. And, you know, it's a lazy army bay. Uh, you know, it's very casual. It's very uh, narrative. No, no, not not on your fucking life. Um, not on yeah. your life. So, uh, you know, Eric, the Rune Fathers, the Rune Master, um, and the Rune Smiter, they're all very helpful. Um, you know, uh, the, the Rune... Smiter is, um, you know, is a, a priest. Uh, Searing Heat does mortal wounds at range, so it gets helpful for him when he needs it. Only happens on a three-up, mm. like uh, most prayers. But unlike corn prayers, you know, rolling a one, there's no, there's no problem with rolling a one. They don't, they don't care. They're not going to take mortal wounds from it. Um, you know, it is Hemdar Lodge. So something to take note of, and I always forget in the moment, uh, is that you ignore bravery. Or uh, battle shock, rather. If uh, you're oh, ignores no, battle shock. Ignores huh? battle shock if you are wholly within twelve of any objective, and there. So by the time oh. you are fighting an objective against the guy, and you have uh, you've you know killed say six of them or seven of them, and you're stoked about you know making these guys who are super hard to kill run off the objective, you get reminded that they're not running because they ignore it. Um, so oh, and you get cocky because there's no character around. No, like, no, no, oh, no. Yeah, I absolutely this. not. Because they need the characters to survive because all the Hearthguard units that are not the Auric Hearthguard are going to get a four-up uh, four shrug save if they are within or wholly within 10 inches of a hero. So they always are going to be around oh. the hero. So here's the thing about this list. You know, the big FAQ, like Jeremy got very excited about in a previous episode, you know, Hearthguard Berserkers used to be a 30-man unit. They went down to a 20-man unit. And then they got a discount on top of that when they get a, when you have a 20-man unit. So he was like, great, I'm going to bring 40 instead of uh, 30 and then some other stuff. Um, you know, the broad axes are um, helpful because they are two damage, a pop. So if they're good for the 10-man unit, I assume because he's got three different weapons. He's got pole axes, axes, and broad axes on all his Hearthguard Berserkers. I assume he means two units of 20 Hearthguard with pole axes and one with broad axes. But uh, who knows? Maybe that was a typo. Uh, the the broad axes. Oh, you, you don't think that the 20 is supposed to just have axes uh, alone? Huh? Not on your life, no. Uh, and, and that's not even an option. It's either one or the other. Um Oh, oh, I see. It's either a broad axe or a pole axe. So is is this one of the secrets to Le Bogeymon winning? Is him kind of putting ambiguous oh. stuff on the list and then saying what it is when he drops Maybe. it on the table? Uh, I will say uh, there's no, you know, the 10-man unit of uh, broad axes is helpful because they're two damage each and they can jump straight in. Mm. He's traditionally brought them uh, accompanied by, uh, you know, at least accompanied by the Grimwath Berserker because the Grimwath Berserker, of course, is a hero that can stay, you know, that, that can, um, you know, be very berserkery uh, when it dies. It can 
kind of do a death frenzy itself. It actually does. It, it essentially does a death frenzy when it dies. Um, and it will, uh, on a, on a two up or a three up, I believe, I think it's a two up. Um, when it dies, it gets to just wow. immediately activate and it has a three damage attack. So there's absolutely, yeah. Oh so gosh. it's amazing. So if you get your hero and you finally get into combat with it and you, you just smoke him, he will probably smoke you back, uh, and then die. Um, the, you know, the, the Hearthguard Berserkers, we've talked so much about them in previous episodes. They do mortal wounds. They do two mortal wounds on a six to hit, and they have two attacks each, and they have two inch range. And, you know, as we've talked about before, we can crack a rune and suddenly Fire Slayers are more damaged. We can crack another rune and then they're faster. You know, there's all sorts of really great things we can do, uh, you can do with, with, um, with Fire Slayers. And it's just a, hilarious to me that they are not as popular as they are. But of course, with Le Boogeyman, he is a very great general. So of course, he plays them with such precision and, and grace. Um, you know, his, his, his... Well, and, that, and that's the other side of it is, is it's a powerful army wielded by obviously the top yes. general. And he has massive experience with it. And folks, in case you have missed mm. the notes... Who does Jeremy usually practice against? Oh yeah, the guy who's number two in number the three. ITC. Number three. <laughs> so so we we often talk here and we tease Alex about getting beaten by Jeremy, but then we look at the score and we see that Mr. Alex, my co-host, is actually second in the ITC. No, we currently, sir. So. I'm I'm number three. Yeah, You're James, number three. James is oh, ahead James, of me. Right. James, James yeah, is number three. But yes, it ha- I will say oh, well, he has improved my yeah. game. Two, three, it's the same he has, thing. He has improved my game tenfold. Um, the only problem is, and we talked about it in our last episode, playing in his basement, it's I call it the null zone. I just like my mind goes out the door and I make bad decisions. But then I don't make those bad decisions elsewhere. So it's great. Um that's perfect. That's what that practice is exactly. all about. So that's great hearing no, about no, that list. John, but, we have uh, one more thing though. You, yeah. It kept it kept on What's hitting me in the back of my mind because when I you brought up Auric Hearthguard and five man units, you thought that they would might be powerful. One final thing here is everything that I've talked about, you or our listeners might go, Oh, this is easy. Shoot the heroes. That's gonna be the way you beat you you beat fire slayers. And yes, that is semi-correct. But you have an uphill battle when you do so because of the Auric Hearthguard. The Auric Hearthguard have ranged mm. weapons. They're not very long. I think they're like 16 inches, and they, but they do do two damage. So that is very helpful. Um, um, but they're not there to shoot things. They are there to hug the, um, you know, essentially two separate pairs of heroes that aren't the Berserker. They're there to sit by because on a, uh, on a four up, they can transfer damage. Heroes can transfer damage over to the Hearthguard Berserkers. Now, the Hearthguard Berserkers don't have a shrug save, so they're not as, uh, as say, hard to kill as the Hearthguard Berserkers. But the Auric Hearthguard have two wounds of pop still, so that is 10 wounds, uh, basically a 10-wound buffer on your heroes. So very helpful. Oh, I see. So they do have a little bit of shooting, which is handy, but mostly they're in there to be bodyguards. Exactly. Sounds nasty. Well, lucky, luckily, I don't have to face <laughs> any of that. Uh, definitely going to be uh, looking forward to seeing what everybody does on the tabletop later this week. That's yeah. for sure. So, John, you are not playing Age of Sigmar Championships, right? That is correct. Just going to do the shoutcast with our uh, co-host, Garrett. 
Exactly. So everyone's going to be able to hear your lovely voice on Twitch for three days in a row. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a treat. It's going to be a dream for them. But, uh, you know, with that, you have an outside perspective because you are no longer looking at lists, like you said, and thinking about how do I beat them. Instead, you're looking at lists from a very outside perspective, which is great. Uh, You know, there, of course, have been stats and, you know, our friend Garrett, the the uh, coder as he is, the man who is all about stats, of course, had helped compile some stats for us after the lists were uploaded into Best Coast Pairings. And with that, you know, there's some observations that I know you've made, I know I've made. Um, we both have started to and, and will continue to post them on Twitter for our followers to look at and, of course, for our Facebook page as well. But John, Tell me a little bit about some of the things that you've noticed specifically. Sure, sure. So uh, as we mentioned last week to our listeners, um, you know, because we have now a standardized format for list submission, uh, we're able to have access and parse a lot of data about the lists themselves. And and there's just going to be more and more of this going forward. It's really going to be exciting. And uh, again, just as a reminder to folks, you know, our our co-host Garrett is uh, actually a computer scientist. And I myself am a metrologist professionally, which uh, without boring anybody about what either one of those are, we're both guys who do lots of math and use lots of statistics. <laughs> so when we have a chance to crunch some numbers, we have nothing but fun. Now, I myself, as I mentioned earlier, was really only planning on anchoring a quarter of this conversation uh, instead of half the conversation. So I really planned and looked uh, focused in on Skaven stats. And of course, I know all of our listeners, that's what everybody is most interested in. Uh, nobody oh, would imagine even want to hear about anything else. No, so why not? I'll, I'll just run through some quick Skaven stats for you guys. Uh, for the nine Skaven players, uh, understand what everybody's bringing. For everyone else, this is what you have to face. <laughs> so for everybody, you are facing a total of 480 clan rats out there. In fact, you're going to face 360 plague monks and 33 storm fiends. Those are what you're going to see the most of. There's going to be five Vermin Lord Warp Seers, 27 Gazellis, okay? Four Gray Seers on a Screaming Bell, but three of those are in one list. So you're actually not going to see them unless you see uh, play against uh, Mr. Jiwon Singh. Now, out of all of that, there are 969 Skaven models being brought. And this is just one of those weird things. You know, there's lots of coincidences in life. Uh, I myself have the Skaven Collector's Edition, and I happen to have number 696. Oh. Right? We got 969, 696, randomness. Uh, but it's one of these things. When you look at a number like 969 written on the page, and everybody right now as you're listening, write it out. Write a 9, a 6, and a 9. And you know what that looks like? It looks just like one of the Skaven symbols. So uh, all hail to the Great Horned Rat. Okay. Uh, that's going to be about 17,000 points of Skaven uh, coming at you. Other than that, uh, not much to mention. Most of the Skaven players are going to be doing attrition. Uh, the Vigor Dust Injector is the most common artifact. 
and the Warp Lightning Vortex and the Soul Scream Bridge are the most common uh, endless spells that Skaven players are going to be bringing in. So that's a quick look at some Skaven stuff. There's actually a lot more stats and stuff that I've crunched here. And uh, over the week, I'm going to be trickling them out on my Twitter feed. So uh, anybody who's uh, following me on Twitter at Zestuki, uh, go ahead and uh, take a look at those stats as I pump them out. Uh, that's what was interesting to me. Alex, uh, I, I can't imagine anyone looked at any other stats. So as you looked at the Skaven stats, uh, what did you come up with? Yeah, well, nothing. Absolutely nothing. We are fair and balanced here at the Wide World of Wargaming, and I did not look at any of those. I instead looked at everything else. <laughs> yes. And like like John said, I myself also have a lot of stats that we would like to look over, ones that either I myself have generated or Garrett or you know elsewhere we have been able to come up with. I, or prior to this recording, was able to share with AOS Shorts and others a uh, full breakdown, which basically meant I went one by one into each faction and probably could have done it in a more effective way by just asking Garrett the faction breakdown. But you can see that. We will post it on Facebook, um, on uh, the Wide World of War- Wargaming's Facebook, and of course also um, our Twitter, Wide World of Wargaming, and my personal one, uh, all caps spooky, are all CPS spooky with underscores in between. Uh, but we're, you know, not to shamelessly plug, but plug um, yes shamelessly plug it is our forum absolutely all. um but outside of those stats that you can see there of the total faction breakdowns um i noticed and i was really curious about army missions uh, because you know of course that is something that's unique to lvo and most of the army right. missions are in fact just hidden agendas basically um well exactly hidden agendas and with those uh by far the most popular uh army mission is invade uh, with 54 people choosing to invade, that is, that is a lot to me. Um, but there's so many different armies that are, you know, deep striking like Night Hunt or, or um, uh, well, I mean, deep striking and also teleporting like Night Hunt. But then also, you know, uh, there's Stormcast Eternals. There's people with the Soul Scream Bridge or the Cogs. You know, you're looking at people who can ambush. You know, there's Cities of Sigmar, Beasts of Chaos. Um, there's a lot of armies, and of course, you know, Sylvaneth. So there are a lot of armies that can be all around the table all at once, at least sometimes, some portion of the game. And so Invade is, you know, I guess it kind of makes sense after you talk about it that way, that it's going to be the most popular. Second most popular is Conserve. Um, there are, you know, almost 20 uh, Asiak Bone Reaper players, so it makes sense that almost all, if not most, should have chosen Conserve as their uh, army. But, you know, there are other armies, too, that are hardy as hell and think that they can just keep Conserve as their, uh, as their you know, uh, army mission of choice. Uh, there are 35 people with Conserve. Um, there are 28 individuals who chose Slay. Um, I found that to be way higher than I thought. Um, how many people are confident enough that they think that they're going to be able to point and click the most expensive enemy? Uh, um, oh, you know what? My apologies. That one is the one where we have our most expensive hero be killed, I believe. Uh, no, yeah. no, no, my apologies. No, <laughs> that, sacrifice. That is sacrifice. Slay is kill the most expensive hero in your opponent's army. Right, right. That makes more sense. So there sense. are a lot of people who are pretty cocky that they'll be able to kill that guy. Uh, or that, that That's person. right. Nagash, no problem. I got this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Catacros, bring it on, sir. Um, so unless you have an Archeon list, which, you know, with no, no Slaves of Darkness, um, uh, you know, 2.0, basically, it's um, – I'm surprised at that number of Slay. Uh, 
you know, after that, we are looking at attrition, which makes sense. Like you talked about with the Skaven players, primarily utilizing attrition, being able to just wipe off more opponent of your opponent's units um, is very helpful, especially since it's not determinant on your defensive abilities either. Um, and then, you know, we are looking at the least, uh, the less popular ones are actually less popular by a margin. You know, like I said, um, you know, the attrition, there are 23 people who chose attrition. The next one down is going to be, uh, overrun and there's only nine people who chose it. Uh, granted overrun seems relatively hard to get. It's, you know, making units die from Battleshock just seems tricky. Um, you know, that one Legion of Grief player maybe, but like outside of that, ooh, that's a little tough. And defend. You know, there are three people. That is the least popular army mission is defend with only three out of the, I believe, what, 164 people? Um, that's, that's not a lot. No, not at all. No, but, you know, of course, these army missions are here so that we can try them out and, and hopefully we've practiced a little bit to see, you know, how they're going to work for us and our army. So, you know, the best thing is to, to choose an army mission or, you know, choose an army mission that we have the most confidence in uh, earning overall. I really do hope that uh, everyone has a good amount of luck there. Um, besides that, you know, of course, we are just days away from LVO, like you said, John. Um, before we wrap things up here tonight, is there anything else you'd like to plug? Any more details we can give our listeners about uh, the goings on of of the great, uh, the professional John? Oh, thank you, Alex. You know, you always set me up with delight. Oh, there, my of course. Friend. Uh, so, what can I say? Uh, it was I was asked the other day. Um, by my mm. wife, so don't get too excited. But but if we were going to have a listener party, and I said, oh my gosh, I hadn't even considered that, that would imply that we have listeners, <laughs> which I assume we do. I know we have people out Someone's there Someone's downloading them. I know it's not just my there. mom. But, but, but we are not, in fact, having a listener party this year. But I tell you what, now that the seed has been planted... Uh, I'm already looking to uh, LVO 2021 uh, as we move into our second year. Uh, that would be a great time for us to start looking at a listener-based event or what have you. So in lieu of that this year, uh, you're going to easily be able to find at least Garrett and myself uh, doing the shoutcast for Age of Sigmar. Uh, don't be shy. Come up and say hi, uh, wave, what have you. Um, if you want, uh, you're quite welcome to buy me a drink. Ooh, a now he is there, definitely hey, plugging now. I put it up, but but I tend to be one of those guys that when somebody buys me a drink, I feel obliged to buy one back. So that's how it's going to have to go. That if you buy me a drink, then I'm going to buy you a drink, and we're both going to have a drink. So uh, anyone that's a listener, please come say hi. Other than that, um, we are as a group. Uh, we are probably going to do a large pub crawl on Saturday night. So if that, if any of our listeners would want to join in the public pub crawl that we're going to uh, participate in, again, swing by where we're shout casting, and I'll give you the deets of uh, where to be and what to do. And other than that, I please come say hi. I'm looking forward to uh, meeting our myriads of listeners or all three listeners. Either way, uh, look forward to seeing you folks. And remember, everybody. As you get into your games at the LVO, clinch yeah, those butt cheeks. Yeah, clinch them. 
<laughs> Great advice by a sage master. Uh, you know, this is definitely something where, you know, it's a very exciting time for all of us. LVO is great. I will not be as easily accessible as I will be in the Age of Sigmar Championship Games, competing and struggling to get there, get to where we want to be, right? Um, but don't feel, you know, don't don't feel shy. Uh, definitely say hi. I definitely don't bite. Um <laughs> Uh, say hi, but but also be respectful that Alex will be uh, a serious competitor at this event, and so please uh, uh, be oh, respectful. Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, but besides that, yeah, if you guys want to hang out, have any questions, concerns, whatever, uh, do feel free to uh, see us maybe when we're not playing a game, or at least maybe talk to us, private message us if you want to uh, know where we're going to be, or talk to us if you are interested in, yeah, uh, getting a little bit of more information and maybe doing a little bit of a pub crawl with us. But, you know, of course, besides that, outside of, you know, the LVO, you know, magical event that is LVO, if you do have anything that you'd like to see, or if you uh, have any comments about what you've heard in this episode previously, do feel free to give us a shout out on Facebook, Twitter, uh, or, or, you know, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, this can also be done at the Frontline Gaming uh, page as well, as we are on there every Thursday or possibly Friday. Uh, but this is going to be John and I, Alex, uh, signing off for the night. If you're going to LBO, we hope to see you there. Otherwise, we hope you tune in. Las Vegas, baby. Mm, viva Las Vegas. Winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all the time thing. You don't win once in a while, and you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit.